What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the E-Commerce Unlocked podcast, where, as always, we uh, cut the fluff and we talk about all the good stuff in e-com. Today, we've got a great, um, a great episode planned for you. We got Josh Taylor from Shipware here today, and he really is kind of like the, in my mind, the the guru of shipping. And the reason he's a guru to me is because he's been in it way longer than I have. And uh, he's like Emerson. Emerson and him are, are kindred spirits. They enjoy the shipping world. So, Josh, I'm going to let you. Um, I'm going to let you do a little bit of intro. You've got a ton of experience. So just really quickly, just tell us about you and your, your background. Sure. Thank you, Russell. And thanks for having me on today, guys. Um, I'm currently the uh, Senior Director of Professional Services at Shipware. We're a cost reduction company. We help uh, our clients you know, work on their uh, contracts with their carriers, figure out which carriers they should be using. Um, also, figure out things like uh, their third-party fulfillment, you know, what's the best fit for them, what are the right SLAs, everything like that. Now, I came to Shipware, I've been here three years now, I just hit my three-year mark. I came from UPS, where I had been for almost 20 years before that. Um, started out a little bit in the operation, did a little stint in sales, enough to know that there's a big difference between people who are naturally good salespeople and uh, <laughs> people who have to work hard, and I was on the work hard side. Uh, hey, but that's that's a good thing though. Like having to work hard at it, you you probably ended up being even better that way. So that's I good. learned so much. I, there was there was no way I was going to learn that much in two years mm -hmm. as I did in sales, and it was great because that transitioned me into the side of the business that I was really interested in, which was the uh, pricing and revenue management strategy side, and mm -hmm. that's where I, I spent the bulk of my career um, at UPS was on that side. So you know, the pricing is really. Uh, working with the individual uh, clients to come up with what they should pay, you know, the whole negotiation process there and all the uh, determinations that happen in the background. But then the revenue management strategy is is farther up the chain there. So we're, we're working with the uh, people setting the base rates and determining what the pricing people and the salespeople are going to be able to offer to our clients. So it's uh, it's more of a strategic role instead of tactical. And I think that's that experience has really given me um, you know, a unique vantage point that people who haven't been in that type of role might not otherwise recognize. Well, I think it's so super that's interesting. That's my basic background. No, that, that is amazing. And what I love about this is like your experience. I love to like dive into your brain because I'm like a, a fanboy of like pricing of like shipping carriers. I think it's so interesting to see the leverage you guys have. And like Russ knows, like I love reading like FedEx <laughs> contracts, UPS contracts. Um, like the surcharge announcements, like all that stuff. Like I find it so interesting. Quick, quick side note: yesterday, yesterday Emerson slacks me and says, "Hey, dude, I'm reading the, like the most interesting thing. It's the USPS. I don't even know what it was, but it was like the nerdiest thing that I think you could even read on a Tuesday morning. But it's just like a little light, light reading. So this is Emerson. Like that's that is what he does for fun. So this is, this I, is I, he's want. just getting all excited over there. Oh yeah." Well, yeah, I, I was going through it the other day and I was just looking at all the surcharges. I think there's like, I could be completely wrong. I think UPS, you have like some like 50 to 60, maybe line out of surcharges, but then you can break it down to each carrier, which one those apply to and whatnot. I could be completely off on that. But that's why I, I read at least last past week. Like, you know, there's so many different line items. So I'm assuming from your background, being on the pricing side, it's like a tax code of pricing options, it seems like. It really is. And uh, you're right. There are a ton of them. It's not 60. It's more like 125. Oh, fuck. Okay. I that. That's amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if you listen to the earnings call, you'll, you'll hear either UPS or FedEx. You'll hear them talk about the pricing levers that they have to pull, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that's such an important piece of uh, keeping their revenue per piece where they want it, is having all of these different options that potentially apply to any shipment that goes out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're looking at it from a discounting perspective, how do I get a better deal? You know, you're not, you can't just look at the base rate. You have to look at all these 125 other options that might apply because, you know, they're going to give, give away some on one part and they're going to take away some on the other part. And you could very easily end up paying more when you expected to pay less. That, that is nuts. I think that's something I learned um, early on in my career where I was like, oh, we got a reduction with our, our account on the base rate. And I honestly didn't really know much about surcharge when I first started doing stuff like this. And I was like, wow, I just got it down. It was like $8 to $5, whatever. I felt great. But then like we were paying more on different lanes or whatnot. And the whole like complexity of it, it's a very complex like process where I remember like in college, I was like, I'm going to go in the supply chain. I'm going to work with a warehouse. And all we're doing is putting stamps on a box, really. Like that. How, how hard can this job be? And there's so much more to it than that. So I'm, I'm sure from your side, you have an awesome experience of working with the carrier, understand those levers and seeing how profitable things are. And maybe, I mean, maybe this is insider information, but it always sounds like from at least their earnings call, they make money, but they don't make money they carries. At least they always make it sound like they're super almost broke all the time, I feel like from what, I, what I've seen. But it also seems like they're making a lot of money at the same time. So just interesting to see like those those margins that they are trying to to hit on it. I guess it's it seems interesting. I guess maybe I'm telling a question. Maybe this is my observing. Is that accurate? Like that they come off maybe that they're like tight margins. Maybe they have it more than maybe it's coming off as. Yeah. So a lot of times, if you're talking about it at the account level, you know the account executive will tell their client, "Hey, look, we're not making any money off of you guys." Mm-hmm. But then, you know. Right now is probably not the best example because they are hurting for volume and and the margins aren't quite where they want them to be. But um, you know, if you look back a couple of years, especially in the middle of COVID, when they were making record profits, yeah. while at the same time telling everybody that they had to you know pull back on their service and charge them more in order to keep <laughs> from going out of business, it uh, kind of exposes the truth that there are multiple ways to look at profit. You know, so you depending on the measure that you're using, you could literally be telling the truth to your client that, hey, we're not making money. And yet the company as a whole is actually making money on that, cl- on that shipper. So it's, it's a little it, it, it sounds, it sounds like, um, the, like a used car lot. Like I remember, <laughs> I mean, this was probably six, seven years ago. I'm sitting in like looking to buy this car and we're like kind of interested in it. And the guy comes up and he's like, man, I didn't realize that it was, we, we had it marked down to this. Like, this is crazy. As soon as you walk out of here, like I'm like, we're losing money on this deal and I'm raising it to $3,000. Cause like I, this was a total mismark and like, we're not making a, we're not making a penny. And then like, come to find out that's total BS. And like, and maybe, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit more about the car industry that yeah, maybe like his numbers show that like, yeah, we're probably break even on this car, but that's also taking into account all the other things that, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely not losing money on the deal. So kind of that's, that's the, that's the connection that I made with what you just said. Yeah. It's, it's still very profitable. There, there are from time to time an account or two that will get really out of whack and the, the company might actually be losing money on them, but that is such a small minority of accounts that mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a safe assumption to say that even if you have great pricing, your carrier is still making money. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, I guess fun fact, and we'll kind of get some more, more details of it is when I was with Nomadic, Nomadic used a shipware. Um, so it's, it's fun to talk on this as a podcast now that I'm on the tech side of stuff working with Corso. 
but also kind of like bringing this kind of full circle of um, just seeing what the shipboard team has done, um, the great insights and a lot of education I got from the shipboard team in, in general has been been phenomenal. So I love that we get to kind of keep this shipboard relationship and partnership keep keep going. So that's that's fun to see it continue. And yeah, um, me too. That's um, but I guess question for you I, I, at that point, I think when I was with Nomadic, we were probably on the smaller side of a of a brand, maybe using our own carrier rates um, probably at the time. Um, so it's like most brands, like if they're using on, if they're on e-commerce, they're usually using a 3PL and the 3PL usually has their own rates or if they're doing their own fulfillment, they might be using like Shopify rates or like a ship station provided rates. Um, is there a time that you would kind of suggest for a brand, maybe they break off from those like given discounted rates? Because I know like when you go into Shopify, it's like, cool, if you use Shopify, you get 20, 30, 40, 50% off this carrier, this type of shipping service. And you think you're getting a great deal. But sometimes you can get a better deal. Maybe you can't get a better deal on your own if you go directly to the carrier. Is there a time where maybe it makes sense for a brand to start looking into that, a certain like dollar volume or spend or something like that, that they should be looking into something like that? Yeah, there's there's really two two things you should be looking at um, when trying to make that decision. You know, is it time for me to go out on my own rates or is it best for me to stay where I'm at? Um, and it's really changed over the years. If you go back... 10 years or so before the, uh, the, like the UPS DAP program existed, the digital access. Um, that's the stuff that you're getting through Shopify and ShipStation and all sorts of other platforms online. Um, I was very active in setting up the first iterations of a lot of those. Hmm. Um, and what it does is it, it was, you know, it really makes it more competitive, UPS more competitive with, say, the post office, which was traditionally what a small business would use, right? Um, and so it, it makes it really those those rates have become pretty competitive, you know. So if you're a relatively small shipper, you're just starting out. Um, if you're doing your own fulfillment, those programs are probably very good for you if you fit the profile that they're designed to uh, to apply to. Right. Mm -hmm. So the uh, really, I think the first thing you need to look at is what's my shipping profile. If it's not lightweight ground residential, then those Shopify programs and Amazon programs and everything else that, you know, third-party programs that you can get access to, they're probably not going to be a great fit. So even if you are relatively small, um, you know, if you're shipping $100,000, you're paying, uh, I don't want to make that sound like that's small, but, you know, in the broad scheme of things, there are some very, very large shippers out there. So if you're spending $100,000 and that's not like the perfect fit for your characteristics, you should probably be talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but if they are a good fit, right? If you are sending lightweight ground residential packages, that's probably good for you up to half a million or more. Hmm. Um, so and you if you're going through- uh, You say that's like sub five pounds maybe, or are you talking more like mailers type of thing? Or maybe what would you kind of classify lightweight versus more of a, a, a bulk product? Yeah, less than five, maybe up to 10 pounds. You know, at that point, the uh, there's really three things that are probably most important to look at. And that's the, the discount off of base. It's the reduction to the minimum and um, any discounts to surcharges like residential surcharge and fuel surcharge that are going to apply every package. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's the interaction between the uh, the discount on the base and the minimum that's really going to determine what you pay. So um, just if people don't understand what the minimum is, just a real quick overview. If you have 100% off of your UPS ground shipping, your FedEx ground shipping, you're never going to actually get 100% off, 
right? Because they set a minimum charge. Basically, the idea is it costs us something to deliver every package. So even if your discount would get you down to zero, it's going to stop at a certain point and you're going to pay at least you know, $7 or something like that. So um, you can negotiate that minimum. So if you can get that down to six, you're going to save a dollar on a lot of those packages. Or uh, if you have a bad discount, you never get down to that minimum. And, you know, so it's kind of a balance between those two. I would say I had a false celebration one time where I think I negotiated a really good discount with a carrier. It was, it was up there. It was above like 60, 70% on a lane or something like that. And I was like, dude, we are winning. This is amazing. But they didn't discount any of the base. So I was still basically paying full of retail. So even though I was like, dude, we got a great rate, it really took no effect. So I'm sure my rep was like, great, great discount. <laughs> it's like, but none of your packages, they're, already, they're all lightweight. That does nothing actually. <laughs> so Right. You probably paid the same price for like, you know, up one pound package or even maybe like a 30 pound package because mm -hmm. it all went down and just hit that same minimum. Yeah. Yeah. So I was great. We had bigger yeah, that's very common. time, but I, I remember I took it back to the team. I was like, dude, we did it. Like I hustled this. Like I like, I, I got a W and then I'm sure my rep was like, I'm sure I'll give you like 80% discount. <laughs> all your profiles less than three pounds anyways. Like I didn't do anything. <laughs> So, um, which I think, I mean, again, this kind of like talking about ship where I think like obviously with your like knowledge and expertise, I mean, I went through it before I kind of connected with you guys, like learning off of my own of just like trials of trying to figure it out. But there are, um, I think, I think yeah, yesterday I went through and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like 150, at least on Fed, I looked at my FedEx contracts the other day and there was 150 columns, at least my download, my invoices of different like data points on it. And so I'm sure on that, there's like right. so much wealth of, of data in there, but there's so much to learn. And for someone not having like the education, like what shipware or other providers like that provide, it's, it's not, there's not much information in general on the internet. It's not like there's like passionate YouTubers out there. Like, let's look at your invoices and let's like get to the bottom of it. There's not really that, that culture, at least in the shipping industry um, as a whole. So like getting someone that's been there knows that, and especially with your expertise uh, with UPS, understanding how they make money, what levers they're pulling. Um, really can help uh, help a brand with that. Um, is there a time maybe um, that this comes into play with a brand using a 3PL? Um, so if some brands are in self-fulfillment, they're using their, um, they're, like, if they're using their own fulfillment, they can get their own rates. That's great. But if you're using a 3PL, maybe this is something that's as pertinent to them because most 3PLs either require they use their rates um, to use that 3PL or you have to have such steep discounts you can get yourself to override that 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 program or something like that. Um, and you kind of mentioned that you guys help with 3PL contracts and negotiate on that. Is that like a lever to pull? Is like, hey, if we have to use your contracts, we need to reduce our pick and pack fees or something like that, or integrating those processes? Or what does that typically look like for a brand using a 3PL? Yeah. So most 3PLs are going to want you to use their rates um, because you know it's a way for them to um, collect a certain margin. Right. And it's it's actually usually pretty beneficial for both sides because, you know, they're shipping multi multiple millions of dollars. And, you know, you might be coming in shipping eighty thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. uh, so the rates that they can get are just so much better than what you can get on your own in, the, in a lot of those instances that, you know, they can keep a margin and give you savings that you would otherwise just not be able to achieve. So it, it really is a win win. Um, as you get larger and especially, you know, if you have 
some unique needs on your discounting. You know, if you have some additional handling or things like that, dim weight that uh, their more general contract might not have, you know, great rates on. Hmm. So then you can negotiate with them to, hey, I'm, I'm going to use my rates instead. What they might do is add on a little charge um, just to make up really some of that margin that they're uh, that they're not getting by you not using their shipping rates. So. Yeah, then it's something you can talk about. What's that rate? Is it going to be, you know, 50 cents a package? Is it going to be a dollar fifty a package? And then you have to weigh that against how much your rates are going to save you versus theirs. So really, it you know, there's no hard and fast rule. It's always a comparison between what they're willing to do, what you're willing to do, what you can get, what they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to take all the factors into account. But yeah, you, you described it pretty well. That's the fun part of it. I think it definitely is like a negotiation dance through that mm-hmm. aspect because there are so many levers that each side has to to pull. Obviously, everyone's trying to to make it make it work. Um, I think on a on a brand side, sometimes it does feel kind of I don't say schemy, but just like so complex. It's like how like there's so many ways for a three PL or a carrier to make money because there are so many different things. I mean, you take these surcharges right now like peak demand surcharge that they're putting in place throughout all of COVID pretty much. And mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, they're still like in place, even like post peak season, it's like yearly peak season rates. And before we didn't like really <laughs> had to deal with that as a negotiating contract. Like I, I wasn't part you negotiated necessarily because it wasn't always peak season 24 seven. Now it is, um, which is interesting. Maybe it's a side note, something I've seen in the industry on the tech enablement side of stuff. A lot of brands try to use like calculated shipping rates at checkout on Shopify, but it seems like a lot of these surveys tech solutions don't even keep up with all the different surcharges that can get enabled. So even like that displayed rate at checkout doesn't always take into account all the surcharges, which I think is very interesting. So why you think maybe just like a note out there to brands is maybe keep an eye on that. Like you think you're charging your calculated rate, but just make sure your service provider that's doing that integration through that API or whatever it is, make sure they're displaying the actual rate. So maybe it's a good time for, for brands to do an audit on that. Um, I've I've got a question on that. So as a as a brand, like yeah, you know, I, well, funny. I was talking to somebody that's new to the e-com industry, and I kind of explained a little bit about like these sur- surcharges and you know the markups with the warehouse. And they're like, wait, so my warehouse is like is totally scamming me? And I was like, no, like the it's a better situation for both of you. But it can be honestly for somebody who's not like in love with shipping can be very confusing. And especially yeah. when it comes to what Emerson just called out of the calculated rate, we think you know, at first look, you're like, nah, that's exactly what I'm going to pay. But then it gets re-rated and then there's some surcharges and this and that. So I just, for, for us dummies, right. That aren't, aren't in shipping it all the time. What as a brand, like what are maybe one or two things that I can do to almost like balance the books, you know, balance the checkbook, make sure that I'm not totally, you know, overpaying by 10, 20, 30%. And maybe tell me like, what is a normal percentage of like a fluctuation? So I think I pay a thousand dollars, but I actually paid $1,100. Is that normal? Or like what, what should be my error percentage um, in that analysis? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, And you're right. There are you know, if you're trying to come up with exactly what you're going to pay, it's going to be pretty hard. You know, there's um, with all the different surcharges, like something as simple as a delivery area surcharge, which is, you know, additional charge that's tacked on because ostensibly the, the place where it's getting delivered is farther away from a hub, you know, and on average, you can probably expect 25 to 30% of your packages to get hit with some form of that charge. Now that charge goes up every year. 
Um, and, you know, you might hear that the carriers are increasing their rates by an average of 5.9%, but that 5.9% doesn't include any of those surcharges. It's just the base rate. And it's a, it's a pretty loose definition of average in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, that charge could be anywhere from like $4.50 or $14.50. Jeez. So, you know, if you start attracting business from a fairly rural clientele, you might find that your average cost per piece goes up by, you know, dollars mm -hmm. to serve those, those clients. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some wiggle room there. Plus on top of all that, like you said, there's peak surcharges, demand surcharges mm -hmm. now that are being charged despite it not being peak and demand being low, <laughs> but mm -hmm. the carriers have just started charging. It's become part of the revenue that they generate and they're hooked on it. They can't, they can't stop charging it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as a brand, what's, what's the best way for me to like make sure that I'm actually taking into account some of these things, right. Or these surcharges, because, you know, I'm looking at my shop if I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. It was a thousand dollars that I paid in, uh, in shipping last month. And you know, I'm talking small scale, you know, where, you know, where there are brands millions of dollars. Right. But let's just say on a, to make math easy, like, Hey, I spent a thousand or I collected a thousand dollars on this shipping and, uh, I'm going FedEx or UPS or something like that. Um, is there, what's the best way for me to like validate that that's pretty close to what I'm actually paying? Yeah. So auditing your invoice, whether you're a small shipper or a large shipper is, is important. Whether you do it yourself or you hire somebody else to do it, um, going back and making sure, I think probably the best place to start is to, um, you know, if you've got your stuff on a spreadsheet, just sort the columns for the biggest charges. Um, you know, there's some surcharges out there that dwarf the rest of the combined charges on a package. Um, if you have, a, if you're charged for like large package surcharge, um, you might pay $140 for that surcharge plus another $40 in, um, demand surcharges, you know, so now you've got $180 on top of a package that probably didn't cost that much to begin with. Um, and if, if that's not something you're expecting, then that really gets you upside down quickly. So mm -hmm. that's where I'd start. You know, it, you'd start with those big charges. If your program is catching those and you're charging them up front, then, you know, you're fine. At least you're covering your costs. You know, it might be hurting your uh, shopping cart abandonment, but um, at least you're covering your costs when people choose it. God, that makes uh, sense. That's, that's probably the best way to go about it. Just mm -hmm. look for those big ones first. And if those are, are doing well, then the rest of it probably follows. It doesn't hurt to do some spot checking, though. Gotcha. What I'd say on that as Thank well, you. like a lot of brands are doing self-fulfillment, like through Shopify or whatever, or ShipStation. They see the rate at when they buy the label and they like, like Josh saying, they don't like audit that. And so a lot of time you think like right. the price I paid is the price I'm actually buying it for, but they're all going to come back and reconcile those books at the end of the day. So maybe you thought you bought that label for $10, but really you look at your invoice later and that would have cost you 15, 20, $30 at times, depending on the surcharges getting tacked on or your box dimensions were wrong. I've had issues where I went through and audited stuff and I put it in like a 10 by 10 box or whatever it was. And then when it went through a scanner, they add an extra zero to it or whatever. And it was like a hundred by a hundred box. And I was like, Oh, F, this like, <laughs> for whatever reason that happened on a couple packages. So there's things you definitely want to take a look at and see like what, what happened on these, these packages because the system's not hundred percent perfect. And you may be paying things you don't know you're paying for um, and taking a look at. So I think that's like some low hanging fruit there. Is this anything that I can rely on my 3PL to do for me? Yes. Uh, it depends on the 3PL, but, you know, especially if you're using their rates, 
um, you're relying on them for reporting. Um, and it's fair for you to ask them, you know, hey, what, how's this working out? Is, is what we're charging our client up front actually turning out to be what we're paying on the back end? And I guess another best practice for that is, especially if you're using UPS, um, you got to wait a few weeks, wait a few invoices before you actually go out or go back and check it. Because it might show up as, you know, one charge on the first week, but you might get some shipping charge corrections on future weeks that apply to that package that seems like it's already been billed. So wait a few weeks before you go back. I've experienced oh, that. I don't understand all the back end work that goes on with it, but I'm always like, get so frustrated when that happens. I'm like you're reconciling a reconciliation. I feel like now at this point, like <laughs> it's like I'm not sure what, what the bill. I would not want to be in that billing department. That seems very complicated and a lot going on in that, which I, I don't envy them. Um, it is to, to be fair. They're they're moving more toward the way FedEx does it, which results in fewer of those you know um, adjustments coming multiple weeks later. So as as that gets rolled out more and more, that should become less and less of a problem. But as it currently stands, yeah, UPS has that more than the other carriers. Interesting. Um, kind of on that line of UPS, we had like the UPS strike last year that was like all up in the news and everything like that. That's been what six, seven months since that strike's been resolved, roughly. Um, how is that still like affecting things in the market um, as far as like UPS trying to get? UPS said they didn't lose that much volume. FedEx said they took all the volume, everything like that. Like, how has that maybe changed the, the landscape of, of pricing and just carrier relations in general right now? Yeah, that was that was the story of the year last year, as far as I'm concerned. The the threat of the Teamster strike. Um, you know, when we uh, we polled our clients in 2022 and asked you know them how how soon are you going to start planning for this. And the most common answer was seven months in advance. In January, they were going to start making choices. Hmm. Um, not everybody ended up moving that quickly, but um, it was an interesting pricing dynamic that, that we noticed. Um, beginning of 2023, UPS was still very, very stuck on, hey, we don't have to give you great discounts. We're, you know, you're going to come and use our products anyway. We're not going to go overboard here. Whereas FedEx started being much more aggressive with their, with their discounting. Hmm. And given how aggressively the rates had been raised by both carriers, you know, there was definitely room to play. So FedEx was playing. But the closer you got to that um, you know, end of July cutoff point, FedEx got pretty diligent about requiring um, early termination and minimum commitment clauses to be signed with any new rates that they implemented. You know, so if you if you wanted to get those rates, you had to agree to give FedEx the business for two, three years, sometimes more. Uh, and if you didn't, if you turned around and switched afterwards, there was a you know, significant penalty to be paid, mm-hmm. usually about two percent of your of the anticipated annual net spend. Interesting. Sometimes significantly higher, but really those those are uh, less common and probably hard to enforce. Uh, yeah. So we saw FedEx take away quite a bit of business. We saw the USPS take some, regionals take some. Um, and then as soon as they they got it figured out and that contract was uh, agreed to and then ultimately ratified, UPS changed their pricing approach to the market pretty dramatically. They started offering discounts and rates that honestly had never been available before, to mm. especially to smaller and mid-sized shippers. Um, my thought was that they would probably come out strong with that discounting, hoping that they could, you know, bring on a lot of new business and then apply 
probably a record um, general rate increase and, you know, get back to that margin after having won back the volume. Mm. But FedEx did a surprise move, announced a, um, a rate increase that was, you know, not the largest ever, still big, um, but could have been a lot bigger. And mm. I think they kind of thwarted UPS's plans there. Mm. So nobody's admitted to it. And obviously I, I'm not working there anymore, so I don't have any insider information, but I think that's what happened. It took UPS a long time to actually release the details of how they were going to uh, have a general rate increase that was similar to what FedEx had announced. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was. So we've seen that UPS and FedEx have been offering some very good incentives the second half of 2023 and even moving into 2024. Good time to negotiate. Yeah, it seems like it because, I mean, it, I guess on that landscape, adding USPS to it, USPS came out their ground advantage program, which mm -hmm. seems amazing, honestly. Like, it seems like a solid, solid program um, in general. And it seems like USPS is changing some of their ways they're operating with UPS and FedEx now as well. So it seems like uh, I think the landscape and supply chain in general the past five years is just like, what the hell's going on always, I feel. Um, and it seems like this past year was, was true with UPS and the strike and then USPS is becoming more of a, a player. I mean, they've always been a player, but it seems like they're being more aggressive and more innovative than they've been in the past before. It's like, where USPS, this is it. It seems like they've came out with more um, more innovation they have in the past is what it seems like, at least. Um, yeah. And it seems like they all now seem, it seems, I'm not sure, like, I mean, volume's obviously, like, decrease in e-commerce and, and the industry as a whole. Um, how's that affecting, you're kind of talking about the, the volume as everyone seems like they're fighting for that volume now, it seems like, of that reduction in, in shipping. Is that kind of accurate? It is, yeah. Volumes are down across the board for pretty much every carrier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you hear it in the earnings calls. They're they're acknowledging that the volume's down, that it's an issue. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, they got pretty aggressive with the way they they handled their long term clients, even over COVID, and they uh, it didn't really create a lot of goodwill. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we found that people are much more willing to switch over the past couple of years than they were previous to that. You know, there was a lot of, well, I've been a UPS customer for 20 years. I don't feel like switching. I've been with FedEx for 25 years. You know, just help me get my better rates with FedEx and I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. um, but there's more choice now than there's ever been. You know, there's a lot of money invested in different shipping options and, and uh, shipping models. A lot mm -hmm. of new carriers coming out that have performed, you know, surprisingly well and it, they've gotten creative. So, um, yeah, we've seen people switch probably more frequently than they have in the past as a result. So with, with all that in mind, you know, uh, volumes being down, which we could, I mean, we could dive into that for a long time because, you know, it's a relevant conversation, but I'm just kind of curious from your perspective as we're going, you know, we're, we're beginning 2024, um, on a high level from a brand perspective, uh, within e-com, what, what should we expect? I mean, obviously there's always going to be a, a, a general rate increase. And so I'm going to be paying more for shipping than I was last year. But, um, what are the things that are going to impact my business from your perspective? Yeah. Uh, well, there is, like I said, there's more choice. There are a lot of companies now that are coming up with, uh, creative ways to kind of stitch together a national network from, um, individual regional networks, um, technology has helped quite a bit on, on this front, you know, being able to have say GLS 
pick up on the West Coast and have, um, you know, better trucks or somebody deliver on the East Coast because they've brought those two networks together. They've made it possible for you to print out one label and have it get from, you know, origin to destination. Uh, so you don't have to rely on UPS and FedEx as much as you used to. It's still hard to get away from them entirely. Um, and they're going to try and make it hard to, uh, you know, for you to get the best incentives, best discounts if you try and pull some volume away. But there are great ways to improve service and reduce risk without necessarily increasing costs, sometimes even saving costs. So um, if uh, if a shipper hasn't considered some of those alternatives, you know, like you, you said, Emerson, the USPS uh, ground advantage has been a, a surprisingly good service. I mean, I, I shouldn't say surprising, but it's, you know, it's been very effective. It's been very reliable. Um, and it, it's been great to see the USPS making some of these creative changes that not only reduce cost on their end, but also continue to deliver a service that, you know, meets the needs of the people who are using it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you get some of the aggregators and, and uh, uh, expediters like DHL e-commerce and OSM worldwide that, um, provide an extra boost on service and maybe a little bit of savings um, compared to what you you pay with the USPS. There's all sorts of options out there. I think it's interesting. I've, I've definitely taken a note of there's more regional carriers out now, at least, and more regional carriers expanding their networks than I've seen in the past, um, which definitely, I mean, if carrier, big carrier volumes down and those regional carriers are kind of competing at that national level now or are going to be more aggressive, that I've seen in the past. I think what's going to be interesting to see is how those regional carriers integrate into these different marketplaces of being more like most people ship UPS, USPS, DHL, because those are common carriers. But like you're saying, like GLS on track are becoming more prevalent um, and whatnot in the industry. Um, and some of these tech aggregators, I had a call with Sendel yesterday, which is an interesting mm-hmm. like business model. Um, Margo is an interesting um, provider I've, I've talked to recently where they're just shipping stuff in the belly of planes. It's more of a custom upfront process, but um, another expedited service that, again, is like just leveraging tech and the infrastructure of these existing businesses to build it out together. Um, so I think it's interesting to see where the tech's going. I'm, I'm loving the innovation um, in the space that I feel has been well um, neglected. I maybe I think like it's like it's been an archaic industry in general. It feels like for the most part, and it's like okay, we're finally catching up in some of these areas. That's that's fun to see. Um, I guess maybe to to wrap up on on things is right now it's GRI season. Everyone's announced their their rate increases. Um, maybe some some tidbits or like some information you might be like, hey, what are some good low hanging fruit practices to be looking at the GRI that maybe a, a common person may not be looking at. Just one little bit on the the previous topic. Um, I don't want to forget to talk about Amazon because you know that, that's <laughs> been a huge difference. You know, as as UPS has kind of shed some of the Amazon business, um, depending on how you want to interpret it there. But as Amazon has taken on and delivered more and more of their own shipments, they now deliver more packages than uh, UPS does. They deliver more packages than FedEx does. Uh, you know, it's a it's something that many people didn't think was possible 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now they're starting to expand again to include, um, you know, pickups and, and shipping volume. that's not necessarily sold on an Amazon platform. So there's, uh, there's interesting things happening and, and there's going to be some interesting changes as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the GRI, 
you know, UPS and FedEx are always roughly in step with each other, right? They both announced an average 5.9% rate increase. It's not penny for penny the same, but it's pretty dang close. Um, OnTrack, which is the, you know, the combined OnTrack and LaserShip that now, by the way, they, they deliver to as many addresses, you know, Monday through Friday and uh, maybe over the weekend as, as UPS delivers to on Saturday. So hmm. if you don't think they're a major player, you're missing something there. Now, you know, there are huge swaths of the country that they don't cover, but, you know, what percentage of your clientele lives in Wyoming or Montana? Mm -hmm. um, they can they can cover quite a bit of, of the country. Um, you know, they hired a, a few people from UPS who used to be involved in rate setting. And the first thing you see is that contracts rates are now being raised. The base rates are being raised to meet UPS and FedEx. Oh, um, their fuel surcharge is being increased to match UPS and FedEx for the most part. They're not, you know, exactly the same, but very much in line. Hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, the fuel surcharge is an interesting thing to look at. That's one that um, a lot of shippers might not have any discount on because in the past you had to be, you know, four or five million in spend before they'd start to consider that. Um, but after the, uh, the the threat of the strike was resolved, they started offering that to tiny, tiny shippers, you know, getting 25, 30% off of fuel surcharge, which is incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. um, it's also something that it's uh, it's named fuel surcharge to kind of give you that psychological anchor that, hey, this is UPS just covering their costs. This is FedEx just covering the cost of their jet fuel. It's really not. It's really not. Um, it's a psychological anchor to get you to go, oh, okay, I should pay this. It makes sense. But if you go back, this is probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, in mid-2022, we took a look at a package, if you'd sent that, you know, one package in the middle of 2020 at those, you know, during that fuel, with those fuel rates, those fuel tables would have um, generated a, a fuel surcharge that covers about a quarter gallon of fuel for that package. Two years later, mm -hmm. that same package not only had fuel like gone up by two or three X, but uh, the fuel surcharge tables, which already adjust for the price of fuel had been bumped up as well. So now even at the higher fuel rates, you were buying half a gallon of fuel for the same package. So it's not taking them more fuel to get it there, but they're charging you for more fuel. So um, both uh, national carriers raised their rates um, by a point to a point and a quarter um, on that table. So even for the same price of fuel, you're going to be paying more. And that's a percentage of Pretty much everything else, every other charge on your package um, mm -hmm. is subject to fuel. So that's a good place to start. If you're seeing an unexpected increase, if it's going up more than, you know, 5.9% roughly, fuel is going to be one of the main reasons why. That's um, other surcharges fall in there as well. So um, if you are seeing those increases, look at surcharges first. And uh, if you haven't gotten a discount, an improved discount on those, Within the last year, definitely talk to people. You know, talk to your your account rep. Let them know, hey, this is this is more than I expected. This isn't looking right. You know, I I need you to help me out here. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. One of the hard things I've had in my career is done a lot of Kickstarter campaigns. And during Kickstarter, they mm -hmm. don't have like a rate calculator, so you have to put a fixed cost of what shipping is. So you might get a quote like six months to a year before 
you actually yeah, shut on it because you're pre-purchasing everything. And then those rates can be completely different. And usually most Kickstarters, they'll do international shipping. And that can definitely screw you pretty good when you're like, oh, I thought it was $35 and now it's like $60. And 10% of our packages are going to that country. And you're like, dang, I just, we spent an extra six grand going that lane that we didn't expect or whatever. Um, right. So it's definitely hard to kind of buffer those in. You want to offer competitive rates to your customers, but also you don't know that makeup beforehand necessarily. There's a lot of uh, things to consider there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what's interesting about the shipping world. I think there's so much going on um, in it that it keeps, I mean, great job security. But yeah, I mean, everyone's always going to need to figure out these rates. I always like to make it complicated and make it almost comical of how much there is to negotiate on it, I feel, um, at times. But it's always a, an interesting interesting game to play with them. Um, and it's fun. Um, yeah, there's today? definitely profit in complexity. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right, that's a good little saying right there. That's uh, We got to put that on like a, a tile, put that up on my wall or something like that. You know, that's great. <laughs> Um, but Josh, thanks so much for, for being on with us today and chatting um, about all these things in the supply chain and the industry right now. It's going on with the carriers. There's so much. And I honestly could do this for like hours on end. I know maybe it's like a, not everyone's deepest passion, but for me, I, I love it. I think it's so interesting um, and just seeing the general landscape. So appreciate you jumping on and educating our, our listeners on this. And I uh, look forward to having you back again as we uh, hear more about these GRIs and how the shipping industry and uh, the landscape changes more. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. And one more thing, don't ever use declared value. It's not insurance. It doesn't give you the coverage that you want. There are much better options. <laughs> there we go. That's perfect. It's a little tidbit. That He's just securing his spot on the uh, the podcast to come back. He wants to talk about that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Josh. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys.